This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. When, when I bring it to, you know, you don't have to walk out in the streets and fear that you're going to be pulled over by, by an officer, you know, for the color of your skin or for the way, I don't know, for the way your car looks or something like that. Or you don't have to be sat down in your living room to have that talk about, you know, going outside and obeying police or dying. That's privilege. Welcome to Summer Range listeners. I'm Julia Ritchie. And I'm Amy Westervelt. So we thought we would check back in with you guys and let you know what we're working on and what we're thinking and talking about this summer. We have not forgotten you. <laughs> uh, we are just trying to work really hard on bringing some really good content. Yeah. <laughs> but today we're actually just going to talk to you about a lot of things that are going on this summer in our country. That conversation that feels really uncomfortable, but we're going to force you to have it now. So. <laughs> and ourselves. Right. <laughs> So joining Amy and I is our colleague, Marcus Laverne. We've been working with him for almost a year now at Reno Public Radio. He is a young black man. <laughs> is that the best way? Fair enough, fair we, enough. We, are, we are on the, the radio, so I do feel it's fair to, um, yeah. to describe that. But maybe you want to introduce yourself. Sure. Well, I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm a journalism major going into my fifth year as a university student. I got into journalism when I came here in 2013, decided that I'd want to use my voice for reporting. And and what a voice. Can we just say? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no vocal fry. It's not cry. fair. Yeah, it's really not fair. <laughs> he has the best voice. So one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, Marcus, is because uh, you had to cover a Donald Trump rally in Reno. Was it this year? or was Yeah, it, yeah, it was this mm -hmm. year. He, he's been to northern Nevada twice. Was it you had some tweets or some Facebook yep. posts yep. that you made about Trump uh, either after the rally or before the mm -hmm. rally? And our, our news director kind of said, hey, let's not do that. Let's mm -hmm. not put our credibility on the line. Mm -hmm. And I think that's difficult for me as well, because mm -hmm. we, we were talking about this, where there's this feeling that journalists have to be extremely objective to mm -hmm. the point of basically legitimizing viewpoints that wouldn't normally hold up to any sort of scrutiny mm -hmm. yeah. or, or examination. Kind of tears me apart in a little, in, in a sense, um, because I, I asked myself this question maybe two weeks ago. As a black journalist, you know, as a person with a voice, as a person with talent in writing, what should you be doing? Mm -hmm. I mean, are you, is it your duty to advocate for the black community? Is, your, is it your duty to give back to the black community? Why do I find myself constantly interviewing white men? You know, those things. I ask they, myself they just, that all the time. <laughs> they swirl, you know, they swirl around in my head all the time. And it's just like. I've always had that issue of place. Like, where do you belong in this 
in this sphere? Where, where, mm-hmm. like, who are you? It's just weird. It's an identity crisis in a sense. No, but it's interesting because yeah. I feel like you do, just by virtue of being a black journalist, mm-hmm. like, you have to answer that question right. more. Am I going to have an opinion on this? Yeah, you know, exactly. um, yeah. that's a really big conversation happening right now, which yeah. is that, you know, as a black journalist, do you want to be covering these things? You right. should, you should have a choice in that. Uh, it shouldn't just be because you're black. You right. Exactly. You need to go cover this protest. But that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of the attitude within the black community is that if you're black, you're one of us and you need to act like one of us or you're not one of us. And it's always it's always been that way um, throughout middle school. You know, I'll, I'll get the comments. Wow, you sound white, you know, or you act white. You, it's just like, what the hell are you talking about? I want to <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, what does it mean to not? To not act black, I guess. I want to ask those people. And, you know, the stereotypes, you're good at dancing or you're good at singing and you're good at sports and things like that. I was good at those things. I am good at, I am good at those things. A little humble brag. I am good at those things. <laughs> but um, but I, I've always been black. I've always identified myself as black. Yeah. But I guess I've never identified myself as that black. Yeah. Which is, it's just always the strangest thing to me. Yeah. Yeah. The question of what you, what you should be doing as a mm-hmm. journalist as these things are going on, too, I think is interesting for all of us. I don't know. I guess it's good that journalists are having that conversation, too, mm-hmm. of, like, what's your responsibility? I did have this issue this week where I went to the press conference uh, with the Reno Police Department in advance of this protest. So, like, oh, how are we preparing? You know, how many more officers are we going to have? And this white TV reporter, mm-hmm. um, she posed, well, it wasn't a question, and so I called her out on Twitter because I said that's not a I qu- saw that. That's funny. funny. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, but, so her, her question if we can call it that, it was really a statement, was it must be disappointing for you to see how hard this great city works to get along with police and, and its community to see a protest like this. What are your thoughts? Talk about oh spin, God. right? Yeah. And, wow. And, right. And and so I called her out. Um, I didn't put, use her name because I was trying to be <laughs> trying to maintain civility in a small town. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I do think that is an appropriate role for a journalist to call out other journalists that may yeah. Um, be putting their own spin on it, you know, Most and, and yeah. I, I welcome people to do that to me as well. If I'm ever, you, yeah. if I'm crossing the line on, you know, again, not calling out all Trump supporters as racist, like that's not productive and that's not respectful and it's not true either. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to maintain that balance of saying, you know, let, let's, let's keep a level head here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that really brings back the point though, of this fabricated objectivity that, yes, the that I think doesn't fortify a story at all. I mean, no. it distorts it. It's not telling the whole truth. And and yeah, the the myth of objectivity is yeah. it's like, where do you draw the line between, OK, this is the story and this is what I need to add to make people feel comfortable? I just. Yes. It's such a difficult question. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I do like I have multiple editors who I've had weird interactions with. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. It, like you said, it, the false sense mm-hmm. of balance that doesn't actually exist. Right. You know, like yeah, there exactly. actually aren't as many people who believe that we should have a wall between here and Mexico as there are people who think that's ridiculous. There's actually way many more people who think it's ridiculous. And yet, if you would look at, like at the news coverage, you'd think it's like totally a 50 50 split. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I do. Yeah. Bringing yeah. this around to 
range and, and being in the West, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about the geographic diversity that makes this uh, part of the country so cool. You have mountains, you have, you know, deserts. Um, but when it comes to actual diversity, people diversity, people diversity, um, <laughs> the West is definitely uh, changing. Uh, the demographic shifts that you see all over the country are happening in the West as well, but perhaps not as quickly and uh, not as not in the kind of rural pockets. Yeah, I think it depends on where you are. Like if you're in Oakland or LA or Portland, Seattle, I feel like Northern Nevada, maybe not so much. And I think that's where the discomfort comes in too when you're covering like a Black Lives Matter protest. uh, And we did see a few counter protesters Mm -hmm. at the protest that we covered just uh, on Friday, a couple days ago in Reno, where um, you had some All Lives Matter uh, um, counter protesters Mm -hmm. who showed up. When I saw the protests and just, you know, the vast number of people that came out and the different ethnicities and, you know, the different ages of people that came out. It was kind of like, okay, this thing has hit Reno and people just need to accept it. I mean, marches like this are going to continue to happen unless until there are some results. And I'm talking about on a federal level. Not sure when we're going to see that. Um, But it's very important that people do realize that these issues impact the smallest places Um, even in rural Nevada, they're going to hit everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really a flood, and it's going to hit the country. Uh, It's crazy that people don't think these types of things have have anything to do with them. So when I think about it, I kind of consider the All Lives Matter movement to be a part of that, like, description. People that believe that one, you know, one ethnicity, one culture has not suffered more than any other culture not to say, oh, they're they're racist, right? That's not the right. point. It's that they feel uncomfortable and somehow aligning yourself with this movement, you're saying that they're the problem. It's yeah. the same with uh, with privilege. Like whenever you bring mm-hmm. up white privilege, it's always like, oh, wow, I'm privileged as, a, as if it's an insult. Mm-hmm. Being privileged is honestly a gift, but people deny that they have that gift in this country. And yes. in all of the conversations I've had, you know, when it when when I bring it to, you know, you don't have to walk out in the streets and fear that you're going to be pulled over by by an officer, you know, for the color of your skin or for the way I don't know, for the way your car looks or something like that. Or you don't have to be sat down in your living room to have that talk about, you know, going outside and obeying police or dying. That's privilege. And mm-hmm. people should feel grateful that they have that. And whether your ancestors did it virtuously or not. They, they gave you that privilege. And so a, a lot of people don't understand that that's something to really be grateful for. Yeah. I hear a lot of people who just misunderstand it in general yeah. and think like, well, I'm poor. I'm working class. So mm-hmm. therefore, I don't have white privilege. You mm-hmm. know, and it's like, right. no, no, no. It's not an economic thing. It doesn't mean that, you know you don't have any problems because right. I think exactly. no one likes yeah. to feel like their right to gripe is being taken from them, you know? <laughs> Everyone has a right to gripe. Then yeah. the Constitution. Yeah. We yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, 
to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You mentioned something earlier when we were talking before, um, before we started recording about how if these things had been getting coverage for the last 20 years, like we'd be in a different place now. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more too? Well, it was really interesting. When I did an interview with uh, Brian Burghardt, who's the president of Fatal, en- Fatal Encounters like a week ago. Can you tell, just uh, sure. explain what and, Fatal Encounters and is? Fatal Encounters is... Um, based in is Reno? His pro- it, yes, I'm it is based out of Reno. <laughs> yeah. And it's his project... <laughs> Um, that's basically collecting data on fatal encounters between uh, police and and civilians, essentially. It's um, the first database of its kind. The very first. And the FBI, you know, the, the, the Department of Justice has not collected any data like this. Yeah, it's a really important project. I'm going to play a clip here of Brian talking to the American Bar Association about fatal encounters and just what he's found and how that relates to how these things get covered in the media as well. So, so one thing I see a lot of, particularly in early reports of people who were killed by police, is mugshots, and it's my belief that that tends to um, to misrepresent African Americans, particularly because African Americans are more likely to be arrested for minor crimes, and then when when they get killed, uh, there's there's a you know a traffic citation mugshot that came because they didn't pay a ticket uh, to, to represent this person, which tends to, to increase the perception of readers that, uh, that this person is a, is a lifetime criminal. Also, um, from a journalism standpoint, we're, we're taught in schools only to mention race when race is germane to the issue that you're reporting about. So I would argue that race is always germane in an in an instant of an officer-involved homicide. Just because of these things we've learned, I want to say since Ferguson, but but I've seen studies going back to 1967 that, that have the exact same information, that people of color are represented by killings at higher rates than they are in the population. Brian's reasoning and how he justifies the project is that this project can save not only the lives of civilians, but the lives of officers. It can you know, maybe give them some insight into how to change policy or protocol or uh, if something's working better for another department, then then they can start implementing it at their department. So I think it's just a really, you know, admirable um, project. But I was talking to him and he we started talking about how the media gets a lot of the blame for uh, what's happening in the country. Like mm-hmm. we're over over presenting the people with these shows of gun of, of gun violence from police officers and um, we're just blowing it up more than it is that's the opposite of what we're actually doing it just happens to fall upon this generation now because i mean we weren't covering this stuff as much as we should have been yeah it's not know, that we're like ago. it's not that we're sensationalizing it now. You know? It's that like we failed to cover it. And people past. got so mm-hmm. comfortable with the status quo coming into, you know, two thousand that when things start to change now, it's just like why? And it's so funny because this country is going it, at some point this was gonna happen. Right. People were gonna start being held accountable and whether it was by the people or by the justice system or uh, by the media, somebody was going to do it. And now that it's happening, you can see the fallout, um, mm-hmm. but you can also see just how constructive it is in uniting people like it did, you know, 
last Friday during the Black Lives Matter march. Here there, right there's deep denial, but there, there's yeah. also widespread acceptance mm-hmm. in a way and we like, probably haven't seen in, in since, you know, the, 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 civil, the civil rights movement. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, but also I just feel like there's so many more, like, uncomfortable conversations happening, which is what has to happen. Okay, I think a big part of the problem is this desire amongst white liberals in particular to pretend it doesn't exist or that they don't have any part in it. I don't know. Or just avoid the topic just because it's uncomfortable. White liberals or white conservatives? Both, really. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that in our ep- but, episode. Shout out to episode, was it like three or, <laughs> three, four? Three or four with, yeah, uh, with comedian, comedian W. Kamau Bell about his uh, an incident in Berkeley yeah. uh, where he was targeted basically for being black and, mm-hmm. and yeah. in, a, in a fluent white area. Yeah. yeah. I mean, white conservatives, sure, yes. Mm-hmm. But I actually feel like there's a, a real issue with white liberals, mm-hmm. too, of, you know, so wanting to not identify as that, that they we distance ourselves from those people. Oh, like those people. Oh, these, you know, morons and this and that, whatever. And I'm like, come on, these are your cousins. Mm -hmm. You know these people. Mm -hmm. We all have someone in our family that is an ignorant racist. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know a single white person that doesn't have a joke about some ignorant cousin somewhere. Oh, my grandma used to say these horrible things or whatever. So like, call them out. I think we need to be having those conversations too. For sure. Not to hammer on our we're in the West theme, but I am curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, whether you think your experience is different here than it would be in, I don't know, Chicago or Mm -hmm. um, or Baton Rouge or, you know, one of the I don't know, one of these cities that's that has such a history of segregation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think if and I was born in East St. Louis, Illinois um, and predominantly black. Um, but I left very early in my life um, for multiple reasons, and one being it just wasn't safe there, and my mom didn't want to raise a family there. And so we moved to Las Vegas, which made for really in- and a really interesting experience because from a young age, I mean, elementary school on up, I felt like I was always around a really diverse crowd. So it didn't hit me that, you know, black people kind of have niches in their community versus white kids versus Latino kids until I probably got to middle school when I kind of didn't fit in as well as I wanted to because I had I had always been with this crowd of a group that I thought was really open-minded I mean for being so young um, and race we just didn't think about race when when we when we were with each other mm-hmm. um, the neighborhood I grew up in was predominantly white but I never thought you know why aren't there more black kids here I never thought that mm-hmm. um, although my mom has always kind of pressed that you need to you need to learn about your heritage you need to learn about your culture and be proud of it and there's no doubt that I wouldn't change the way things are in my life I love being a black man but I've never felt disadvantaged for my color mm-hmm. so I wanna if I were in an area like Chicago or um, say somewhere down south I can't tell you that I'd feel differently but I have gone and spoken to my family that lives in the south and um, the discrimination within that group, you know, towards white people is still very, very much alive and strong, mm-hmm. which kind of just kind of freaks me out because it kind of makes me think that I have to either assimilate into that mindset or I'll, I don't know, be shunned or something like that. It scares the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend is not, she's not black, she's white. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes it very difficult for me to 
want to go to those places. And so I feel like things would be very different if I was there. Um, I feel like I'd probably have a lot more black friends. I feel like I might have more of a chip on my shoulder when it comes to, you know, law enforcement, policing and, and, and white people in general. I'm thankful I don't because I feel like if I was that way, if I had that mindset, then a lot of the opportunities that I have, you know, here in Nevada would not have pre presented themselves to me. It's kind of weird. Marcus, I just want to thank you again for joining us. Definitely. And yeah. uh, we, you can follow Marcus Laverne and his fabulous reporting and his photography skills, which are also on point, at uh, Marcus Laverne on Twitter. That's M. Well, you should spell it. Sure. M-L-A-V-E-R-G-N-E-21. Okay. And also, do you have any other sites? I have Instagram, Instagram, but don't follow me on Instagram don't yet. Insta that's, a, that's a work in progress. <laughs> you need to you progress. need to up your food, food photo game. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> Well, that does it for this bonus episode of Range. Uh, this episode of Range was produced at Reno Public Radio in Reno, Nevada. Thank you to David Whited for our music and yes. High Country News, our partner. You can check them out at hcn.org. You can follow us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Range Podcast. And send us an email if you have any feedback or tell us about your you know, favorite Donald Trump uh, rally memory. <laughs> Howdy at rangepodcast.org and we'll see you soon. And then the people who think it's yeah. the Bureau of Land Management. <laughs> right. That's a whole other group. The Bu Bureau of Land Management matters. <laughs> that should be the the Western version. Yeah, the counter movement. <laughs>